question. When you sing a song like that, and it was beautiful, by the way, one of the things I love about this particular um, room is that I can hear you sing. It's beautiful. But when I listen to you sing, when I think about the words that I'm singing, it doesn't get lost on me that sometimes it's easy to just come and do what you're supposed to do at church, isn't it? You just come and you sing and you listen and you go home and you do your thing. And, you know, we've been, I've been asserting for weeks now, really years if you want to just be general and generic about it, that love is the essential thing. And I don't think that really any of you, even if it's your first time in church, even if you don't believe in Jesus, even if like you don't do the, do any of this stuff and you just find yourself here or listening online, I don't know that anybody would disagree with that. Love is the essential thing. But what I think we could take even one more step into the deep end is to say that though we might agree that love is the essential thing, we could also probably agree that we, and I'm speaking to those of us that follow Jesus now, we need better demonstrations of love, right? Because to think about love is only half of the equation, right? Right? When we talk about love, God, sugar, new, service, city, when we say vision up, vision in, vision out, it's one leads to the other, right? Like we eventually get to the point where we look at people with Jesus, right? Not for Jesus. That's where we typically start, which would be a mistake, right? That's where getting tired of church comes from. That's where getting burned out comes from. That's It has to flow the way it flows. And so it starts with what you just sang. And I just... I want to begin in that spot. Do you actually believe that God's goodness is running after you today? And if you don't, I would just invite you to lean in and be honest enough to say, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. And, and I, I think there's a specific word for you in our text today. And then there's a specific word for us that wouldn't dare say out loud that we don't think that. <laughs> See, there's a lot of us who grew up in church and you're like, man, I'm not even going there. I'm not even answering the question whether I think God's going to say, of course, of course. And yet in our life, what are you experiencing? Because here's, here's where the rubber meets the road and here's why love is the essential thing. Here's why demonstrations of love are so important is because the way that God chooses to show his love now is through us. The Bible tells us that we are his ambassadors. That he's left us here to be his representatives on earth. And as he taught us to pray, to see heaven come on earth. Right? So we join him in that renewal of all things. But it's important because... We actually have to do the things, right? What's countercultural, though, is that we're not doing them in our own power. And I think that's where we have to learn how to not just receive the Holy Spirit, but as Scripture says, walk by the Spirit, right? So super important. But I don't know that we're known for our love. 
I'm not just talking about Redeemer City Church in general. I think we're working on it. We're going to do it tonight. But I'm talking about the long arc of history, right? Like what do, what are we known for as God's kids? I'm not sure that we are known totally for our love. Maybe we could narrow in even and say over the last hundred years in our own country, what are we known for? Are we known for our love? I'm not sure that we are. And that's tragic. It's tragic because love actually is the essential thing. Right? Like that's what scripture says. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says faith, hope and love remain. We love that scripture, right? The love chapter. Then the scripture says, but the greatest of these is love. John 17, we talk about this as often as we can. I try to fit it in every Sunday because that's what Jesus himself prayed to the father before his death that we would experience. And he actually says that the people who aren't following Jesus will want to follow Jesus if we can love each other well. Super important. C.S. Lewis once says, said, don't even waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Don't bother trying to figure out if on the inside you love your neighbor. He says, act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. The belief there is that it's quite possible for your feelings to follow your decision making. Why is that so important? Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says that it's not actually recommended that you would follow your heart. Right? We, we, we love this idea like follow your heart, follow your dreams. What if, you're, what if your heart's wrong? My heart's wrong all the time. If you're married, your spouse will let you know, hey, babe, I'm going to go do this because I want to. Be like, I don't care if you want to. I'm not going to do that, Right? We understand that, but yet in the innermost parts of our heart, in our soul, I don't know that we live with the same practicality, right, that we do in maybe our budget. And so we have to be thinking about this. And I think it's interesting. John, Jesus' closest friend on earth, shows through these interactions that we've been seeing the way that Jesus interacted with people and showed us what love looks like. With the lame man, think back. He not only heals him physically, he does do that. That's part of it. But it was going one step further and having a conversation with him about his sin that showed him true love, real love. Real love doesn't just give us what we want. It gives us what we don't even know that we need. We were to look at the woman at the well. He offers her living water, a spiritual renewal that went beyond relief from her difficult circumstances. For Nicodemus, the offer was eternal life, not more power. Rather, it was to exchange his life for a life that was at the moment for him going to be scary. So John records the next interaction that Jesus has, and it's a fascinating one for me. If you've been to church even more than two times in your life, you've probably heard a sermon on the feeding of the 5,000. Where this great crowd of people comes and they 
want Jesus to do crazy stuff because he was already doing amazing things and they were stoked about that. And the end of this story says that they, that Jesus perceived that they were going to force him to be their king. So he like runs away and hides. And so these people are totally enthralled with Jesus and yet it's a lot happening there. But what I want to look at today is not necessarily the crowd that's coming. We'll do that next week. There's some things for us there. But I want to back up a little bit and I want to look at the interaction that Jesus has with his disciples here. It's interesting because there's a temptation for us to be drawn into the crowd, isn't there? When there's a big crowd that gathers, what do all of our eyeballs do? Come on, you've driven down 275 and there's an accident. What does everybody do? Instead of drive past the accident, what do they do? They stop driving, stinking rubberneckers, right? It's like, come on, go, gas is on the right. You can ask my kids, they'll give you all the things that I say <laughs> that I repent of right now. But we know, we know, right? Like where there's a crowd, our eyes follow, right? But oftentimes Jesus is not just working in a crowd, he's working in a life. And I think what's Super fascinating here is as a crowd is coming, Jesus is more concerned with Philip than he is with the crowd. It's a powerful part of the story because I don't know about you, but if I was standing right here and the, the, the Bible says 5,000 men came and you know that the men weren't alone. So there were women and children with him. So like, what is that? 15,000 people, 20,000 people, some make a guess. Listen, I'm just going to be real with you. I love you all, but if 20,000 people came to hear what I had to say, your boy would be in prideful land instead of, <laughs> like, what does John need? What does Camden need? What does Zach need? That's not where my brain would go. I'd be like, let's go. i got something to say, right? Because it's our flesh, right? And I think we learn a lot about Jesus here in the fact that here come tons of people to hear him and what does he do? He leans into Philip's life and has a pretty important interaction that I think is going to give you some hope today. So let's dive into it because I really think what Jesus is going to show us is he's going to show us some things through our own human emotions in this text. But let's read it. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore. Somebody lift up your voice and say the far shore. He's trying to get away from these people. To the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. They weren't coming because Jesus was the bread of life, which we'll learn next week. They were coming because Jesus was doing things that they thought they could use. And frankly, so do we pray for those things. So let's not dismiss them too fast. Verse 3, then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Perhaps that's why the crowds were so big at the moment. Verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now notice. They are on a hillside on the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, the scripture says right here, 
asked him this only, verse 6, to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Are you aware that sometimes God will allow circumstances to come into your life to test your trust in him? That doesn't preach well. Because that's not going to get you fired up today to follow Jesus. But the reality is, is Jesus doesn't always give us what we want. He gives us what we, come on, need. That's not good preaching, but it's true. <laughs> it's true that, that maybe, whether you're sitting in this room or watching online, that you would be going through what you are going through, not because the devil is tempting you, but because Jesus wants you to learn how to trust him. I think I told you a couple of weeks ago, I'm not a devil behind every rock kind of guy. Just every other rock, right? <laughs> He's definitely there. But this passage makes clear that there are moments where Jesus would have you walk through something so that you might find him right there. Psalm 23, it's maybe the, one of the most well-known passages of all time. Doesn't tell us that God rescues us from our circumstances. What does it say? It says that He walks through the valley of the shadow of the the valley of the shadow of death with us, right? That He prepares a table in the what presence of our enemies. And so these are things that are important. But what 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 I think is important for you and I as we read this text is to say what where what is my thing. Where, what is my circumstance and where is God in that? Because look at, look at what happens here. It says, where should we buy bread? I only ask him this test him. And listen to Philip's answer. He gives a great answer in my opinion. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And that was probably a generous estimate. Probably take more money than that for everybody to have one bite. What's the problem in this text? The circumstances are bigger than Philip can provide for. If I was to just go around the room and ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you looked around and you said, man, this circumstance is bigger than what I can provide for? We would all have a story. In fact, some of you right now, and I'm not just talking about financial, I'm talking about maybe spiritual, maybe emotional, maybe mental I don't know what you're walking through right now, but I do know that whatever it is, there are times where God wants to meet you in the middle of that kind of mess so that you can taste and see that he is good. What does it look like to live what you just sang? To actually believe that God's goodness is running after you. What does that mean? It means that when in front of you is a circumstance that's clearly too big for you what do you do philip's here and he says this is impossible another one of his disciples andrew peter's brother spoke up verse nine here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish but how far will they go among so many Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves. Don't you love this? And he gave thanks. Listen, some of you bless your food. Don't bless your food. Bless the God who gave you your food. Right? 
Because he's going to provide. I don't, I don't know what is in your life right now, but God will provide for you. He may not do what you want him to do, but he will show up and provide for you. And so here he is, and it says that Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated. Listen to this. Are you paying attention? The Bible doesn't mince words. So they were in an impossible situation. A less than satisfactory thing was provided. And Jesus thanked the Lord for it. And then what does it do? What does he do? He says he starts to distribute this. What? What's it say? It says as much as they wanted. And see, that's where I think the rubber meets the road for me. Not only, I think God will provide for me. I do. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about in life. I'm talking about like joy. I'm talking about like soul stuff, like satisfaction. I think God will provide for my needs. I actually don't struggle with that. What I struggle with is, does God really want me to be happy? And I think if you were honest with me today, depending on what you're struggling with, and some of you I know what you struggle with, and I know that that's the wrestle. Does God, in the circumstance that I've, in the struggle, in the issue, in the thing that I'm struggling, does he actually want me to be filled with joy? Because I can't see that right now. I can't see the goodness of God running after me. And I think that's where our faith steps up to the plate. And it's like, do I actually have faith in God? So important. As much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish, it says. When they had all had enough to eat. He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. And then here's another key detail. Let nothing be wasted. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces and the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So that happens and Jesus teaches. And then another story happens right on the heels of it where we're we're doing the same thing again. Look at what it says in verse 16. When evening came, so they, they do the thing on the mountain. They see the miracle and the people are fired up. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark. And here's a here's a detail. Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough when they had rowed about three or four miles. Come on. You ever rowed a kayak? Listen, I'm like take my own body weight like up the Hillsborough River. Let alone get out in the sea and row four miles. That's real stuff. And they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. (laughs) And they were afraid. They were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Listen, we could take this a lot of places. And we will next week take it to some of those places. But what I want to... Just zero in on is one human emotion from these two stories that I think all of us suffer from. One of the human emotions that in my own experience elicits the strongest internal reactions is fear. Is fear. And I'm not just talking about like watching a scary movie kind of fear or what, you know, as a child you do to your parents when they come around the door and you go, ah, And they have a mild heart attack on the spot. Not that I speak from experience. Not that kind of fear. 
I'm talking about the things that I just mentioned that whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever you're going to go through next month that you don't know about, is God good? Is he good? Neuroscientists have discovered that chronic fear affects people's immune system, endocrine system, autonomic, autonomic nervous system, sleep cycles, eating disorders, can cause alterations to your pituitary gland and your function of all of those things, and that that will lead to a dissociation from self, inability to have feelings of love, learned helplessness, phobic anxiety, mood swings, and obsessive compulsive thoughts. And that's not that far off because we've walked through some of those things, haven't we? That my circumstances actually affect who I am. And so it, it comes full circle to say that what you do when the situation in front of you seems impossible really matters. How the people around you love you well when you're going through those things matters. And so in short, human needs left unmet lead to significant damage. It certainly doesn't point toward human flourishing. So how does Jesus meet them where they are and offer them hope? First, the feeding of the 5,000. The circumstances of hunger led to human fear, right? We're all out here. These people are going to get hungry and this isn't going to work. And yet listen to the conversation. Listen to how it goes. It says, where should we buy bread? It's impossible. How far can one lunch go? They ate as much as they wanted, and they gather the leftovers and let nothing be wasted. It's in the two details at the end. They ate as much as they want, and they let nothing be wasted. See, the disciples looked at the circumstances and deemed the situation impossible. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've looked at certain circumstances in my life and thought to myself, this is, this is actually impossible. I don't actually think I can overcome this. I don't actually think I can do that. Maybe it's a traumatic experience in your life that you've walked through that you think, I just, I just don't know that I'll ever get over that. I don't know that there'll ever be freedom from that. And out of fear that it'll happen again, you start to pull control back into your lap. We can't help it. But the scripture calls us to walk by the Spirit. Which implies that there are things in this life that you are going to need to know before you can show. Right? There's gonna, it's going to require you to know some things about God, to walk with God, before you can show that to somebody else. See, because it ultimately comes full circle to where you are the hands and feet of Jesus. But we've got to deal with what's behind that first. And... I'm guessing that there's, like me, some things that you probably need to deal with. We all do. We all have those things. And so here we are. And what does God do? It goes like this. It it goes like this. It goes like speaking faith into your circumstances. It goes like this. For I know my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. What does it look like to live like that? The blessing, though, is tied to the principle that I'll reap what I sow. Right? It goes back to our habits. So what is, what's Jesus doing with his disciples, his closest friends, is leading them to the realization that even when things seem impossible, they can trust him. 
basic Christianity. The question is, do you trust God? Do you trust him? Because when my past rears its head, I can speak in faith and do what Jesus did, right? Give thanks for what God is going to do. You'll need to know that he's good before you can trust that he's good. Second story is the same. The disciples are out on the water in a boat and the storms come rolling in and they're rowing in this boat for four miles. And you know that they're tired, they're frustrated. And what does the Bible say? It says they were afraid. They were afraid. That sounds a lot like life to me. That life happens and we don't know what to do with life. The storms come rolling in and I've been rowing in this circumstance for what feels like forever and I've got nothing left to give. I want you to know that God knows what you're going through. He knows what you're going through. And you should also know that God is very patient. (laughs) God's very patient. What feels like a lifetime to you does not feel like a lifetime to him. He's working from and for eternity and he's inviting you to do the same. And so they've rowed for four miles, they're scared, and then here comes Jesus walking on the water. And there's another little detail there. It says they were rowing four miles out, but verse 17 says this, and Jesus hadn't joined them yet. I just want to ask you that I would bet that there's a few of you this morning that feel like Jesus just hasn't joined you yet. And so of all the things that are going on in your life, of all the things that are going on in the world, of all the things, if you were to zero in and look at your circumstance, look at the thing that you are struggling with, would, would you be honest enough to say that it just doesn't feel like Jesus joined me yet? And even if there's just one of you in here, that you would look at the circumstances of your life and say, I'm just, I'm just, it just kind of feels like Jesus hasn't joined me yet. I want to just pause today and offer you some hope. I want to say to you, keep going. Keep praying. Keep trusting. The Holy Spirit that is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Listen to what John 16:33 says. It says, I have told you these things. All the things that happen in the book of John. John says, I've told you all of these things. Because in Jesus, in me, you may have what? Peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Listen, I can come in here today to wow you with a fancy sermon. Because I think sometimes we get into the rut of expecting just a fancy sermon. What I want to offer you today is what Jesus offered his disciples. In that moment where all the crowds were coming and all the things were happening and it must have been exciting. Jesus intentionally takes them out into two places where they would be at the end of what they were capable of doing so they could see him for who he really was. And the promises that are made to them are still the promises that are made to you that no matter what you are facing, listen, I get it. We all play the game and, you know, there may not be anybody sitting in here right now that knows what you're going through. But underneath of it, 
You're still going through it. And I want you to know that God is trustworthy. That his goodness is running after you. That his goodness looks like the father when the prodigal son came home. Who grabbed his older son and says, your brother's coming back. And then he hiked up his clothes, which was highly inappropriate in that day and age. And he ran down the road to meet his son who had squandered everything that he had given him. That's what the goodness of God looks like when it comes after you. And so whether you've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, or whether today's the first day you're entertaining the thought, I want you to know that God is good. He's real. And he's good. And he is willing to give you peace. But the other spot where we get hung up and don't receive God's peace is that we're too prideful to take it. We're too selfish to lay it down and take it. To lay our life down and receive his. See, that that goes back to the same thing that Nicodemus was dealing with. For me to surrender my life, like what? I don't even know what that looks like right now. I've built this whole thing around me. (laughs) And for me to lay that down and let Jesus in would mess some stuff up. I don't know about you, but that's just real. And so I want to, I want to take a minute to give you the chance to lay your life down. To not just follow your feelings, which are telling you, you don't want to pray with anybody right now. Because that's what it would say to me. And if it's the first time you've ever been to church in a long time, you're definitely, your, your, your brain is screaming at you. We ain't doing this. <laughs> but the reality is, is praying is just talking to God. Just having a conversation with the one who made you. You can do that on your own. You can do that with your spouse. You can do that with one of us. But the reality is, is if the goodness of God is chasing after you and you are facing a circumstance that is bigger than you, the only step you have to take is to pray. It's to pray. Prayer is not, we say it a lot, prayer is not our last resort. It's our first response to everything that happens. I felt convicted about that just driving my kids to school today. You know, we talk about all kinds of stuff today, this week. Go to school today. And you know, like, even like over the weekend, like what am I teaching my kids? What am I leading my family to do? Guys, what are you leading your family to do? Are we leading them to Jesus? And then are we demonstrating Jesus? See, I think there's dads sitting here. There's spouses sitting in here. There's single young adults sitting in here. There's teenagers sitting in here. There's uh, those who have lived more life than the rest of us sitting in here. (laughs) Did I do that right? (laughs) My man. (laughs) Wise people. But you know what's still true? You can get to the back half of your life and feel lost. 
feel like you've lost the purpose that you were living for for all those years. And I just want you to look around and see all the young faces that are here that need you. If you're younger, I want you to look around at those of us who might be so in the weeds of life that we just need you to ask us to go to coffee. If you're a parent, I want you to look around. There's a ton of parents in here who don't know what the heck to do with their kids on Tuesday. Can I get an amen in the church today? Yeah. Listen, there's other business leaders in here. There's other students in here. There's other teachers in here. There's, there's people who don't know what they're doing with their life. They don't know what the next step is. There's others that do, but they're not telling you that their marriage is struggling. And we could go on and on and on, but the reality is, is what good is church if we can't get to where the goodness of God is? And what this story is inviting you to do is to step through that seemingly impossible idea and trust God. But to trust God means to do what he's called us to do. So I don't, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your next step is. And next step is just like a, a cliche church word that like every church uses to say that every one of us has something that God's calling us to do. And the chances are you know what it is, <laughs> but you're afraid to do it. See, for some, for some of you, it's like tithing. Yeah, but what are they going to do with my money? That's not what tithing's for. Tithing will set you free. Set you free from the love of money. You need that freedom in your life. For others of you, it's to walk into church and worship. To release your feelings to the Lord and worship Him. For those of you, it might be getting in a city group because you've never really opened up your life to somebody else. For those of you, it may be showing up at serve night tonight and serving somebody else by raking their leaves because you struggle with selfishness. For others, I mean, I could go on and on and on. I just, I want to invite you to take a step that makes your faith real today. It might just be that today you need to walk across the room to somebody and ask them to pray for you. For those of you, it might be having a conversation with somebody that you offended or they or has offended you. Listen, life's too short for all of the things I just talked about. God's goodness is running after you. And he's using my mouth to call you to do that thing that you don't want to do. Does that make sense? So I'm going to have the band come up and play. And I just want to invite you to put your faith, to put your faith where your feet are. <laughs> put your faith where your feet are. I love that scripture that says, how beautiful are the feet that bring good news. That's all I'm trying to do. So listen, as they start to play, I want to invite you to just stand with me. You can stand right where you're at. You don't have to do anything crazy. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you run around with a flag today. If you want to, that's cool. 
But it might just start with a conversation with, the, with God. It might start with a conversation with your spouse about changing priorities, changing the things that are going on. It might start with surrender. It might start with laying down your life and trusting the Lord, following Jesus. Maybe your next step is to get baptized. Let's get that set up. Make that public demonstration of your faith. So I'll have to say, I don't know where you're at, but God does. And what I do know is that he wants to meet you where you are and lead you, as scripture says, into green pastures. That's the promise. Make no mistake, he's going to lead you through that. (laughs) So as the music plays, I just want to give you a couple minutes. If you want to sit down, you can. If you want to come forward, I would love to pray with you. If you want to grab somebody near you, they would love to pray with you. If you want to take communion, Pastor Jerome will be in the back. He would love to lead you through communion. Got some little ones that we can do. So I don't know where you're at. But I do know that God wants to be with you. So let's just take a couple minutes and create the space, the silence, the solitude. Listen, I know what the rest of your week's going to look like. It's going to be busy. So let's take this moment where we can collectively take a breath, and exhale, and let the music play over you and talk with the Lord. Fair enough. And in just a couple, just a minute or two, I'll come back up. But if you want to pray, I would love to pray with you. Come on. Let's do business with the Lord.